Good evening. It is the day of the Lord. Every day is. And so we just rejoice in His goodness again. He has given us so much. Turn with me, if you would, over to Proverbs chapter 4. And um, we're going to continue in the series that we've been on about Get Wisdom. And we have, uh, this is uh, part number eight to the series. And if you're going online, and if you haven't listened to it, you can go online, you can listen to it there, or you can go back and listen to them again. And um, we are gaining wisdom during this time, during this series. How many of you feel like it has made a difference in your life in this season as you've, been, as you've listened to it? So a few of you. The rest of you go back and listen to it again. Because <laughs> you need it. Because we're going to read verses that say you need it, right? So it's for all of us. And I know it's really been good for me. So in Proverbs chapter 4, let's just jump right in and we'll go through some review. In verse 1, it says, Listen, sons, to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding. For I am giving you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. And when I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, He taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words and keep my commands and live. Someone say, keep my commands and live. You know, the Word of God has promise to it. And the Word of God is full of promises about health and about us walking in His commandment and walking in divine health. If you are a believer and you're here with us tonight, if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, if His blood has cleansed you from all sin, if His covenant now applies to you, then sickness and disease has no right in your body. And instead, you take the Word and apply it to your body and allow the wisdom of God to wake up within you and just walk in health. Psalms 119.98 says it this way, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are with me always. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. See, there is a wisening effect. I don't know if wisening is a word, but I think you understand it. There is an effect that takes place when you put the Word of God into you, you become wiser. You become smarter. You gain in knowledge. You see things that you didn't see before when you'll take the Word of God and put it inside of you. Let's look down here in verse 5. What's the instruction? Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Now, get wisdom implies that wisdom is available to every person. Saying get wisdom implies you don't have enough, but more importantly, I want you to grasp this, this is for every person. I mean, is the Word of God for every person? So then, it absolutely applies to every person that you don't have to be a failure. You don't have to be bumbling along, barely making it, barely coming across, always in defeat. That does not have to be you. And the wisdom of God will walk you right out of that end of victory if you'll give it time and if you'll give it access to your life. You know, the thing is, the wisdom of God is at your disposal. The wisdom of God has been given to you personally. 
Whether you walk in it or not, another subject. But it's been given to you. The wisdom of God is in you. The wisdom of God is on you. Is with you. It's present. Someone say, wisdom is present with me. See, God's ability, His wisdom and His ability, come on, God's wisdom is His ability being made known to you. So God's ability and wisdom just lays dormant in you. Until you activate it by faith. All the wisdom in the world is piled up for you. But if you don't access it, if you don't plug in by faith and gain access to what's been given to you, it won't do you any good. I mean, we can drive by the Kellogg's plant down here and they have warehouses that are full of ingredients for cereal, right? They have where probably a little extra full right now because their workers are on strike, but their warehouse is full of, of material. Yet, without someone having some wisdom on how to put those materials together and how to cook them at just the right degree, how to package it so it stays fresh, how to ship it to all these locations, it's not going to benefit anyone anything. Certainly not Kellogg's just because they have all the ingredients in the world. You have to have wisdom to access it. In the same way, all of you have a warehouse. It's called your head. And your warehouse has knowledge in it. And all the knowledge in the world won't do you any good if you don't have the wisdom on how to apply that knowledge in a godly way. You know, there's a lot of people with a head full of knowledge and they're just pretty stupid. Right? I mean, we've met them. Some people, you have to wonder how much knowledge is there. But you know what? Here's the thing with wisdom. It doesn't matter if you're the dumbest person you know. It doesn't matter if you're the most uneducated, most ignorant, most backwoods person that you know. If you will just be led by the Spirit of God into His wisdom, you can walk with the wisest of the wise. It does not matter your education. It does not matter how many mistakes you've made in the past. It does None of that matters. If you'll just plug into the Lord and be Spirit-led, His wisdom will then begin to flow and operate through you. We, we looked at the meaning of wisdom. It means skillful. And, and really, we, we explained it this way. is you know, Knowledge is what you know. Understanding is insight into what you know. And then wisdom is using that knowledge and that understanding skillfully. Using it skillfully. Let's read verse 6 and 7 here. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Verse 7, wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. Now, wisdom is supreme because wisdom is knowing what God's will is for you in any given situation. That's what the wisdom of God is. More than anything else, if you take nothing else away from this entire series, Understand that God's wisdom is available to me by me discovering His will for me. That's His wisdom. He knows everything. He knows more than you could possibly study up on. He knows more about what, how to be prepared for any particular event that you ever come up against. You know, you can have plan A, B, C, D, and 180 plans, and yet He knows the one you actually need. Right? So, His wisdom, His will for you, the knowledge of His will is His wisdom at work in you. Paul said it this way to the Ephesian church. He said, don't be foolish. Right? 
but understand what the Lord's will is. And so we can walk as wise. We asked and we answered the question, well, how do we get wisdom? Well, we saw there were several things that you have to hunger for. You have to desire it. That's going to be the first step. You're not going to get anything if you don't desire it. So do you desire wisdom? Well, yes, I do. Um, we have to ask for it. Ask and you shall receive. You know, in James it says, if you lack wisdom, ask. And He'll give it liberally without finding fault. We saw that in order to get wisdom, we have to be teachable. And part of being teachable, pliable, moldable, is to be able to receive instruction, correction, and reproof or rebuke. And that wisdom comes to us through those vehicles. We saw that we have to guard our mouth. <clears throat> that if you want to be wise and get wisdom, then we have to guard. You have to guard your mouth. You have to watch your words. You have to learn how to shut up. And some people haven't learned that. And sometimes we need to shut up because we're saying the wrong thing. Other times we need to shut up because we need to hear the wisdom the other person has. The Lord would like to get wisdom to you, but got too much coming out of here and we can't fit anything in here. For those of you listening by internet, that'll make no sense to you. So part of watching your mouth is, is our confession. Not just not saying the wrong thing, but we have to say the right thing. Like, your life will rise or fall to the level of your confession. That's just where it is. You rise or fall to the level of your confession. What are you confessing? You know, listen closely to me. Faith requires, absolutely requires, the confession of what you believe. Faith demands confession of what you believe. If you cannot confess with your mouth what you believe, you don't actually believe it. This is Scripture. I'm not coming up with this on my own. Scripture says it this way. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So there is an absolute faith that comes. And when that faith comes, the believing comes, the confession comes. So your faith requires, it demands a confession of what you believe. And did you know, you cannot have what you will not confess. You can't have what you can't confess. Let's say it a different way. The wisdom of God can't come any more than your confession allows it to. Again, you're confessing what you believe. So let's just make some confessions right now. Let's say this together. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He has been made wisdom for me and is fully available to me right now. Now, be aware of unbelief that disguises itself as wisdom. Unbelief that disguises itself, camouflages itself as wisdom. Really, it's, it's fear or, or, or unbelief. And for an example of this would be, um, you know, when we first got a hold of the law of sowing and reaping, when we got a hold of it, the fact that God is our source and not our own bank account, not our job, not our all the things we didn't have, right? Because we had nothing. See, when you get to the bottom of the bag and there's more holes there than you can shake a stick at and there's nothing in the bag, you figure out real fast that either we can go hungry or we can put our confidence in the Lord. And 
I'm so glad that the Lord sent someone to us to give us truth and to give us wisdom, the knowledge of His will, and so that we could do something about it to change the situation. It wasn't that I worked harder. It wasn't that I was smarter. It wasn't any of that. But we began to plug into Him as our supply rather than into our bag as our supply. And in that time, the wisdom of the God that came to us was you need to begin tithing. Now understand, we were not in any position according to worldly wisdom to tithe. Tithe means 10%. Okay, We weren't in any position to give a tithe. We weren't in any position to give an offering according to worldly wisdom or natural wisdom. Why would I say that? Well, because we were adding water to the milk. We had no money. Work was nowhere in sight. And we were... The cupboards were pretty bare. Things were getting shut off. Things were getting repossessed. I'm telling you, we did not have any wiggle room or any extra to be say, oh yeah, let's give away 10% in, that, in the natural way of thinking. Yet, we grabbed a hold of the wisdom of God, which is His will. And we grabbed a hold of that and we began to tithe and return the tithe to the Lord and we began to give offerings. They were small. They were like the widow's might. I mean, when you got $3 and you give all of it, you know, and the Lord absolutely came through. Now, what I, what I started to tell you was be aware of unbelief disguised as wisdom. Because wisdom would have said, oh, well, you don't have the money to do that. You, you need that to be able to. Wisdom says pay your electric bill first. I mean, come on. Oh, no man, anything. So you got to follow the Word and do this over here. And that's wisdom. It's unbelief just disguised as something else. But when you put the Lord first, when you put the Lord first, you will absolutely come out of the pit that you're in. We saw that we get wisdom by listening to counsel and advice. Um, it says it in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, let a wise person listen. Let him increase in learning. Let a discerning person obtain guidance or counsel. We saw that we get wisdom by the people that we associate with. Or, as, as the Scripture says, you know, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So that's the other side of it. But if you want wisdom, find wise people and walk with them. And listen to what they have to say. I remember a young man that sat down with us. He was looking to get married. And he gave me one of the greatest compliments of my life. He said, you are the wisest person that I have ever known. And he knew, he knew a lot of people. He knew people that I was like, I mean, I'll be honest. My first thought was, whoa, I feel sorry for you. Because <laughs> see, I didn't feel very wise. But this was him saying it. He said, you're the wisest, absolutely the wisest person that I know. And that's why we're sitting here. And yet a few short years later, he's offended. He runs away. You can't contact him. Many people here tried to contact him, send him text, texts, messages, emails, voicemails, wouldn't return a single one of them. If, if it was really true that I was the wisest person that he knew, maybe I just became stupid in the meantime. It's possible. But if that was really true, you shouldn't run away from that. You should actually give ear to it. You should be slow to be offended by it. Listen, if you belong in this house, this is the house that wisdom of God is going to be delivered to you. 
If you belong in a different house, that is where you are going to receive wisdom and download from the Lord. And so you have to get there and you have to be there and be present there. And the people we associate with absolutely will make a difference in your life. We also saw that humility and wisdom are connected. And that Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So humility has company. Humility is bringing someone along riding shotgun. Wisdom. If you'll humble yourself, wisdom will come. Your humility is your protection against uh, getting off into deception and destruction. That's what humility does for you. We looked at that at the last sermon on the subject. On the other hand, pride leads to deception and destruction. Body, spirit goes to a fall. Obadiah the prophet, he said it this way. He said, the pride of your heart has deceived you. See, pride has a galvanizing effect, a hardening effect to your soul, to your mind, to your heart. And when we get into pride, now suddenly the wisdom of God just bounces off of you instead of coming in and actually doing the work in you. So what we want to do tonight is we're going to go further and we're going to look at another aspect of wisdom and what wisdom does. We're going to look at something that maybe some of you here will be uncomfortable with this subject. And so that means you're at the right place because the Lord's giving you some truth tonight. Maybe others of you, you'll be like, yes, I believe this for a long time, but it's going to encourage you and inflame you to walk this out. And that is, we're going to look at the subject of wisdom and riches. Wisdom and riches. <clears throat> Let me ask a question. Was Solomon wise? Yes. Was he wise? Yes. Most of, some of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least until the end. Or was Solomon rich? Yeah. Okay. Let me ask it a different way. Was he very wise? Yeah. Was he very rich? Yeah. Was he exceedingly wise? Yeah. Was he exceedingly rich? Okay, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to just keep climbing the ladder. Was he the wisest man of his time? Yes. Was he the richest man of his time? Yeah. Do you think there's a connection? Yeah. That's the right answer. And we're going to see that. In fact, Second Chronicles 9.22 says this about Solomon. It says that Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and wisdom. Now, we read and we looked at this in the earlier messages on this series, how that happened and what happened. And, and God visited Solomon in a dream and said, what do you want? Ask me for anything. And Solomon asked for wisdom so that I can judge righteously. And what happened next? God's all excited about it. says, man, you're going to get wisdom. You're going to get riches. You're going to get honor. You're going to get a long life. Now, Solomon did some things at the end of his life that cut it short. But it wouldn't have had to have been that way. How about others that were wise? How about Abraham? Abraham was very wise, very wealthy. How about Joseph? Very wise, very wealthy. Fed the whole world. <clears throat> the Old Covenant is just chock full of example after example. Of it, where it says things like this, and the children of Israel or the kings obeyed the Lord and He blessed them and they multiplied greatly and they were the head and not the tail and on and on and on. 
This is full of that. That obedience, obeying the Lord, there's another way to say obeying the Lord. Okay? Walking in His will. There's another way to say that. Walking in the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God will obey Him because that's His will. Let's go over to Proverbs 3. Just back a chapter. And verse 1. We're talking about wisdom and riches and that they are connected. We're going to look at Scripture that tells us that it is God's will for you to be rich. For you to be wealthy. For you to leave an inheritance. We're going to see Scriptures that absolutely without a shadow of a doubt leave no other option than God's will for you is to be wealthy. Now, some people don't like this and the reason they don't like it is because they look at their bank account and they say, well, I'm not wealthy, but they'd like to blame something or somebody. They don't want the problem to be moi. And the truth is, is that's where the problem is. We are our own biggest hindrance. And I'll give you a secret to walking in wealth. You put your, when, if you're a child of God and you're connected into Him, you have the wealth of the entire world at your disposal. You're the richest around. Doesn't matter the size of your bank account. So make that your identity and not the size of your bank account. Now, as you walk in that and you walk in wisdom and how to handle finances, that bank account is going to grow too. But the point is, is the Lord can bring wealth into your hand whether it's in your account or not. Let's look at verse 1. My son, don't forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commands. Now remember, I had read Psalm 119.98 to you guys where it says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies. So the command of God makes you wise. So he's saying, don't forget my teachings. Don't let your heart, or, or let your heart keep my commands. For they will bring you many days a full life and well-being. They will bring you or they will add to you many days. Years of life is the literal translation. They will add to you. What will? Keeping His commands. Walking in obedience to the Lord. Which is walking in His will. Which is walking in His wisdom. This is the wisdom of God. What will it do? It will add years to your life. It will give you peace or well-being as this translation puts it. will give you shalom. And shalom isn't just, I feel nice. Shalom includes finances if you'll look up the meaning of the word. Verse 3, Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have any understanding. Just don't trust that. In all your ways, know Him. And He will make your paths straight. Hallelujah. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with New wine. This is talking about abundance. This is talking about harvest. And and truly, if you want to walk in the wealth of God, then you have got to start putting seed in the ground. Because that's the only way the harvest comes. 
There ain't a farmer in the world that's harvesting who hasn't planted first. And if you eat all the seed that you harvest, guess what you're not going to have next harvest season? A crop, right? And so it's going to take wisdom on what do I do with the seed and where do I plant it, right? And be deliberate in your planting. This law has just played out in, in my life. I'll give you an illustration of it. of Just simply the goodness of God, the law of sowing and reaping and how it works. I had... Um, you all remember you had a, like this big birthday party for me for my 40th birthday a year ago. Well, a whole bunch of you put money into my hand. A whole bunch of you, you know, there was, there was money in cards, there was gift cards, there was adding it all up, it totaled over a thousand dollars. And which is like amazing. You know, there's guns that I've been wanting to buy, there's this, there's that, there's all kinds of things I can do with this. And I was just blown away by the goodness of God. But I had something else in my heart. I decided I'm just going to sow all of it to the Lord. I'm not going to use any of it for me. All of it gets sowed. And so that's what I did with it. And through the year from time to time, I think the thought comes, you know what? That would buy this gun right now. But now I sowed that to you, Lord. Where's the harvest? Lord, I thank you that you watch all the seed that I've ever planted and that it brings in a harvest for me. Now understand, this was money that wasn't given to us as a family to go do something. This was given to me personally. It's a personal blessing to me. And I sowed it. Some of it went into alms and, and that. Well, what does the Word say? The Word says, as you sow, you will reap. The Word says that if you give to the poor, that you'll reap riches off of that. Well, not long ago, I got a call and um, my cousin, he had gone with me to Iraq and Turkey at one point. He says to me, he says, hey, um, would, I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro in February. Would you go with, would you consider going with me? I'm like, oh man, that sounds like fun. So, but listen, I can tell you right now, that wouldn't be wise for me to spend my money on that. I asked him first what it would cost. He said, well, $6,500, $7,000. I said, well, I can just tell you right now that, that I'm going to say no because I need to put my money into some other things and it just wouldn't be wise for me to put my money there right now. Um, but, but it sounds awesome, man. I hope you guys have a good time. He said, well, what if money wasn't a problem? I said, well, if I found a money tree in my backyard, I said, then if the Lord would permit me to, then absolutely I would go, you know. I said, but at this point, you know, the tree's still growing. And he says to me, he says, well, I found one in my yard. And I said, oh, really? He goes, would you consider going if I covered all the costs? And um, I said, yeah, I'll consider going. Um, I'll have to pray about it because I need to talk to the Lord first. I'm not just going to do something because it's a blessing, right? I, I need to hear from Him. And so I went to go pray. Well, <laughs> well I'm going to need a bunch of gear. Right to go climb the mountain. He didn't say he was going to buy me the shoes and the coats and the jackets and the hats to go to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. It's nineteen thousand some feet tall, and so I'm I go to pray about this, and the Lord says this to me. He says, "Go, and I'm going to open some doors and give you some opportunities that you weren't even looking for." So I don't know what that means. If that has to do with missions, if it has to do with other things, I, I don't know. 
right? But I'm fully expecting to find some open doors and opportunities that I hadn't been looking for earlier. Then along comes, um, if you remember, um, I, I recently told you a story about appropriating by faith things that belong to you and how Adrian appropriated my shoes. And uh, they were my hiking shoes, to be, to be precise. And um, I told him he could wear them. And then the next thing I knew, months later, they're worn out because he's been wearing them every day, right? And so this was one of the things I was like, well, I'm going to need some shoes. And, and I had just told that story. I didn't talk about going mountain climbing or that I'm going to go out and buy new shoes. I just told the story. And somebody comes to me afterwards and says, hey, um, the Lord told me several months ago to buy you a pair of shoes. And I didn't know what to get you. And so I was asking the Lord, tell me what to get him. And I've been getting nothing. And then when you said that tonight, he said, truthfully, I forgot about it. Then he said, when you said that tonight, I remembered and I want to replace those shoes for you. They were my hiking shoes. All right. They are expensive, over $200. And so he pays for these new shoes that I ordered. Well, that's, that's awesome. You know, now, now the trip is paid. Now some of, some of my gear is paid. Well, at the same time, I have another birthday. So a little bit, not much, maybe $150, $200 in cash came in, um, for my birthday. So put that towards gear. Well, all of a sudden we had several hundred dollars more come in that was just totally unexpected, unanticipated as far as from that place. And, um, it was for something. It was for me, and, and it's going to cover all the gear. So, here's what I want you to catch. I took a personal blessing and planted it into the field of God. Alright? It was men that received it, you understand. It's this way, but it was this way too. And I planted personal blessing there, and then along comes something a whole lot bigger than the $1,000 I planted in the field. $7,000 plus that was planted is now the harvest, and to me, as personal blessing. And this isn't a thing that I could take the $7,000 and use it on my family or other bills. It's like, take it or leave it, your personal blessing or not. And I didn't see that. I've never once thought about the $1,000 that I'd sowed of birthday money. Till the other day, I'm driving down the road in the car, and uh, the Lord says, do you remember doing that? Yeah. Said this is because of that. So you can draw direct lines from your planting to your harvesting. But ask the Lord when you to remind you at harvest time where this crop got planted at. Because it'll stir up the faith on the inside of you. What were we reading? We were reading that if you honor the Lord with your possessions and the first produce of your entire harvest, then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Look down in verse 13. We're talking about wisdom and riches. Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. For she's more profitable than silver. Her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can equal her. Now listen, here are the results of wisdom and understanding. Verse 16. Long life is in her right hand. Long life over here. In her left Riches and honor. The wisdom of God has two hands. And in the one is long life and the other is riches and honor. 
Can you disconnect riches and honor and long life from wisdom? You'd have to cut off wisdom's arms. Yeah. Let's keep reading. There's more that's involved that comes with wisdom. Her ways are pleasant. Oh, so pleasant ways. All her paths are peaceful. That sounds good. She's a tree of life to those who embrace her. And those who hold on to her are happy. Are happy. So long life, riches, honor, pleasant ways, peaceful paths, tree of life, and happy. All accompany wisdom. Go over to chapter 8. I mean, are these Scriptures true or not? In chapter 8, verse 1, just so that you get the context, it's about wisdom. He, he asks the question, doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? Now jump down to verse 12. <clears throat> I wisdom, so he's talking about wisdom, I wisdom share a home with shrewdness and find out knowledge and schemes. I find out, wisdom finds out knowledge and it discovers wicked devices or schemes or the King James puts it this way, witty inventions, but everywhere else it translates it as wicked devices. And so, wisdom will reveal those to you. In verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. I possess, still talking about wisdom, I possess good advice and sound wisdom. Now this word sound wisdom, the literal meaning of it, it means abiding success from the effect of sound wisdom. Abiding success. Someone say abiding success. So wisdom is making statements. Wisdom says, I possess good advice and abiding success. Sound wisdom. I have understanding and strength. It is by me that kings reign and rulers enact just law. And by me that princes lead, as do nobles and all righteous judges. Just, just make a note that he, he, he clarifies. He says, just law and righteous judges. That's who his anointing is on. Not the tyrants that we see so often today. Go on and look at verse 17. Wisdom is speaking. I love those who love me, and those who earnestly search for me find me. Verse 18, with me are riches and honor, lasting wealth and righteousness. Wisdom is making some pretty big statements here. With me are what? Riches and honor. Lasting wealth. Lasting wealth. I mean, you see these people that win lottery and their wealth doesn't last. It's because they haven't engaged the wisdom of God into how to use those finances. And righteousness. Would you agree that wisdom will lead you into righteousness? Yeah, yeah, that one's easy, right? Well, would you agree that wisdom will lead you into lasting wealth? Yeah. Same thing. Same wisdom. He goes on in verse 19. He says, My fruit is better than solid gold, my harvest than pure silver. I walk in the ways of righteousness, this is wisdom speaking, along the paths of justice, giving wealth as an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries, their storehouses. Filling. Wisdom will fill your treasury, your bank accounts, the places where you store your wealth. Let's go to Second Chronicles. Let's, let's look at Solomon as an example. Second Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 16. Read to the end of the chapter. Now, 
It says, all of Solomon's work was carried out from the day the foundation was laid before the Lord's temple until it was finished. So the Lord's temple was completed. And if you remember right, they had some massive offerings at that thing. I mean, he gave to the Lord. He had, he, he viewed the Lord as his source. And I think that's one of the reasons he was also, he reaped so much because he sowed so much. You look at verse 17. At that time, Solomon went to Ezion Geber and to Eloth on the seashore in the land of Edom. So Hiram sent ships to him by his servants along with crews of experienced seamen. So ships with crews that knew how to run these ships show up. They went with Solomon's servants. So they come, they show up, pick up Solomon's servants, and they go to Orpha and took from there 17 tons of gold and delivered it to King Solomon. 17 tons of gold. Notice it doesn't just say one ship. It's ships, plural. 17 tons of gold today. Today, the uh, the price of gold is $1,864 per troy ounce. Okay? That would be the equivalent to this 17 tons of gold being $924,212,208 today in today's money now remember this is they're on the gold standard they're not just in the standard of printed as fast as you can like we are today you know where when they need more money they just run the presses no this is limited to the gold they have and so very likely it was actually probably worth a lot more than our gold is today But either way, even if it was just at today's value to make it make sense to us, almost a billion dollars shows up on these ships. Solomon's wise, Solomon's rich. Let's keep reading. Verse uh, Chapter 9, verse 1. The Queen of Sheba, we'd read about her before and studied this. She heard of Solomon's fame, so she came to test Solomon with difficult questions at Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels bearing spices, gold, and abundance of precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke with him about everything that was on her mind. So Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for Solomon to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba observed Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servants' residence, his attendants' service and their attire, the way they're dressed, his cupbearers, the table servers, and their attire, how they were dressed, And the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. So the wisdom of God is leading to some pretty cool stuff here. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your, about your words and about your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe their reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half of your great wisdom. You far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men? How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom? Blessed be the Lord your God. He delighted in you and put you on His throne as King for the Lord your God because your God loved Israel enough to establish them forever as He has set you over them as King to carry out justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king four and a half tons of gold. It would be like 244 million. Dollars plus six hundred and forty-four thousand, two hundred and forty-four and a half million. She gives to him a great quantity of spices and precious stones. So those are worth more. I mean, uh, additionally, there never were such spices 
as those the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon, King Solomon. In addition, Hiram's servants and Solomon's servants who brought gold from Ophir also brought algum wood and precious stones. The king made the algum wood into walkways for the Lord's temple. The sidewalks, I guess. For the king's palace and into the lyres and harps for the singers. So, made instruments out of this wood. Never before had anything like them been seen in the land of Judah. They must have sounded quite amazing. Verse 12, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba her every desire, whatever she asked, far more than she brought the king. Then she, along with her servants, returned to her own country. You see how he just operates in the law of sowing? Even to those who are rich. Queen of Sheba was pretty rich. I mean, look, she gave him a gift of $244 million, and he gives her a bigger gift in return. Look at here in uh, verse 10, 13. The weight of the gold that came to Solomon annually was 25 tons. Today's value, that would be 1 billion with a B, 359 million. $135,600. One billion, $1.3 billion is rolling into Solomon, wisest man who'd lived up till that point. Jesus was wiser than Solomon. Okay, there, there was others that later came, but up to this point, Solomon was the wisest. He's also the wealthiest. There is a connection. Look at verse 15. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. Fifteen pounds of hammered gold went into each shield. He made 300 small shields of hammered gold, seven and a half pounds, so they're half the weight, of gold went into each shield. The king put them into the house of the forest of Lebanon. Now the house, house of the forest of Lebanon, a cedar house, was a cedar, it was a public meeting place. Is what this place was. And so for decorations on the wall, just to give you an idea, one of the shields was worth $407,000. One shield. One of the big ones. He made 200 of them. So totaled to $81.5 million in these big shields. All for decorations. In one building. That he doesn't even live in. It's not even the temple. These small shields, they were $203,870 a piece. And he made 300 of those, so there was $61 million in these small shields. T together, it's big shields, small shields, to hang on the wall and look at, totals today $143 million in decoration. I wonder how many people were going, oh, that's ridiculous. You should have spent your money on something over there. Feed the, give it to me. Because that's really what they're saying. It's just covetousness. I mean, if Solomon was wise, this is some kind of wealth on display that comes because attached to wisdom in her right hand is long life and her left hand is honor and riches. Did Solomon's wisdom bring him great riches? Yeah, it's undeniable. And we readily agree to that and admit that and see that. What many are not so ready to agree with is the truth that God wants me to be rich. Because it's easier to believe that this is just my assigned lot in life than to actually believe that God would want me wealthy 
that He would like to make me wealthy. So let's ask the question a different way. Does God want me to be wise? Yeah, without a doubt. What comes with wisdom? Riches. Honor. So if God wants you to be wise, then He wants you to be rich and honored. And long life. And pleasant ways. Right? And happy. Peaceful paths. In fact, He wanted it so bad. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. It says, Of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Now, if you're here and you're not sure that the Lord wants you to be rich, i got a question for you. Does the Lord want you righteous? Yeah. He sent Jesus for that purpose. That's what it says here. Does He want you sanctified, set apart? Yeah. Sent Jesus for that purpose. Does He want you redeemed? Yeah. Sent Jesus for that purpose. Does He want you wise? Yeah. Sent Jesus for that purpose. What comes with that spirit of wisdom? Wealth. Honor. To say it a different way, Paul said it by the influence of the Holy Spirit to the Ephesian church. He said, pay careful attention then to how you live or how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. So it is undeniably, clearly, the will of God for us to be wise. And if that's true, then it is undeniably, clearly, the will of God for you to be wealthy as well. Praise the Lord. The Lord said this to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. He said, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to, con here's why, to confirm His covenant He swore to your fathers as it is today. Well, that covenant, we have an even better covenant. That plus. The better covenant is going to do all that the old covenant had plus. Let's say it this way. If I hold up a $50 bill and a $100 bill, which is better? The 100 Because it includes everything the 50 has plus. Well, same way with the new covenant. Includes everything the old covenant had plus. And here the Lord is saying, I gave you power to gain wealth in order to confirm my covenant. Let's go to Proverbs 10. Let's take a walk through Proverbs and just look at... Wow, I thought I preached long for a moment. This clock hasn't been changed since time changed. Proverbs chapter 10. What are we learning? We're learning that God wants me wise and rich. Let's say that. God wants me wise and rich. Proverbs 10 verse 22. The Lord's blessing and riches. And He adds no painful effort to it. Or some translations would say, and painful effort adds nothing to it. The blessing of the Lord enriches. The Lord's blessing enriches. Yeah, but that was just Old Covenant. That was just Solomon. Well, then this shouldn't have been written in the Word of God to given to us if that was just for Solomon. Because we might get the wrong idea, Lord. I mean, come on. If He didn't mean that for you and I. No, the Lord's blessing enriches. If you don't believe it, that's fine. You can do without it. But I believe it. Look at chapter 14. 
14, verse 24. The crown of the wise, we're talking about wisdom and wealth, the crown of the wise is their wealth. But the foolishness of fools produces foolishness. The crown of the wise is their wealth. Let's say it a different way. The evidence of your wisdom is your wealth. The evidence of your wisdom is your wealth. Chapter 15. We're just going to take a walk through Proverbs for a moment. Look, I'm, I'm skipping more of these than I'm reading. Verse 6 in chapter 15. The house of the righteous... Now, who here is the house of the righteous? It's everyone, right? Anyhow, if you've been washed in the blood, then the house of the right, you're righteous. That belongs to you. So what does he say next? The house of the righteous uh, will be poor and lowly and barely able to make ends meet and just suffer and bump along and suffer for Jesus. But you know that's preached? No, it doesn't say that at all. I'm glad you guys were getting picking up rocks. I saw that. In verse 6, it says, The house of the righteous has great wealth, but trouble accompanies the income of the wicked. If your income is accompanied by trouble, I don't need to say any more, I guess. You guys are sharp and quick. The house of the righteous has great wealth. Someone say, I am the house of the righteous. I have great wealth. Look at chapter 22. 22 verse 4. Let's look at 3 and 4. A house is built by wisdom. We're talking about wisdom and wealth. And it is established by understanding. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. (laughs) Wisdom knows how to decorate. Wisdom knows how to beautifully decorate. I mean, I've been in some places that I don't think they had any wisdom at all. They thought it was beautiful, I guess. That's fine. But, you know, when you do decorating, you can do it in a way and in the wisdom of God that is amazing. And it will bring precious stone, beautiful treasure, it fills the rooms. Look at look at um, 22, verse 4. 22 verse 4. Humility. Remember we talked about how humility leads to wisdom. Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. Results in wealth, honor, and life. The Holman reads the result of humility is the fear of the Lord along with wealth, honor, and life. Earlier we read that with humility comes wisdom. So a humble person that has the wisdom of God operating in his life has wealth, has honor, has life, has the fear of the Lord operating in his life. So is there a connection between wisdom and wealth? Yes, yes, and yes. Undeniably, yes. In fact, if you want to just put the final nails in the subject, you know, look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. The you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 are solely on finances. They are about taking offerings. They're about taking an offering from this place for this place over here. This church and this work over here. And he's writing them a letter and he's saying, hey guys, you guys had committed to do whatever it was in the offering, however much it was. They must have had some sort of pledge or faith promise or something. 
And so he sends people ahead of him and says, they're going to remind you of this and gather it together and collect it so that we don't have to do it when we come with these other people because that would be embarrassing for us because we bragged about you all and this big offering you guys committed to do and we don't want to have to to ask for it once we get there. So he's sending some... So the whole chapter 8 and all chapter 9 is about taking an offering and then what the Lord does with this offering. So in the middle of this, in chapter 8, he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Though he was rich, well, in heaven he was pretty rich, wasn't he? Yep. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. People want to go, oh, that's spiritual riches. No, it's not. The whole chapter is on money. It's talking about money. Why would he put this in the middle of talking about gathering and offering and money and giving it if he wasn't talking about money, right? No, he's talking about money. He became poor so that you, so that I might become rich. Well, he became wisdom for me, right? What's attached to wisdom? Riches. This is just another way of saying the same thing. Or we could look at the beloved John, right? In Third John, he wrote, he wrote a greeting to his friend, which we believe is in the inspired word of the Holy Spirit. He said this, he said, I pray that you may prosper in all things. Would that include finances? I pray. So he's actually putting this request into the Lord. Bless him, prosper him in all things, and be in health just as your soul prospers. See, there's the limiting factor. The soul. You and me are the limiting factor. To the health, to the prosperity. So we have to get our minds renewed. We have to get the Word in us. Change our, our thinking. Get our minds renewed so that our soul is prospering. Let's say it a different way. What, what does it say about the renewed mind? It says you will be able to know and discern the will of God. Oh, remember? Knowing the will of God is the wisdom of God on display in you. Right? So if you can know the will of God, you are walking in His wisdom now. Well, he, if you get your prosper as your soul prospers, if you get the Word into you and wash your soul with the water of the Word and you begin to prosper there, what does that mean? It means you're going to start to discover the will of God and what He wants for you to be doing. And as you begin to walk out the will of God, that's you walking into His wisdom and then right there standing there in wisdom's right hands, long life, and our left is riches and honor and health. Because we read multiple times how it says wisdom will bring long life and health. Well, long life in our right hand. So prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Now there's a warning that we need to look at. Let's go over to First Timothy. I knew people. I had I had an uncle by marriage. He has passed away and gone to be with Jesus now. But he was, man, he would say this all the time. Money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. And um, I heard it so much from other people around me that I thought, yeah, money must be the root of all evil. And they would say, you know, it's in the Bible. Well, as the years went by and I got to reading my Bible, I realized, well, that's not what it actually says. No, in 1 Timothy 6, let's look in verse 9. It says, those who want to be rich fall into temptation. 
a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Money is not the root of evil. It's the love of it that is the root of all sorts of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, money is neutral. Money is neither good nor bad. Money is just a tool. In speaking to the LTS students today, we, we discussed this. And I said, you know, a hammer is a tool. And I could pick the hammer up and build you a house, and so it would be a tool that was used for good. That hammer becomes an extension of me. And it was used for good. Or I could pick the hammer up and bash your brains in, and now it was used for bad. And it became an extension of me and bad. The tool is now bad, we could say. So money is neither good nor bad. It's an extension of the one who is using it. It takes on the characteristics and personality of the one whose hand it's in. So the love of money, Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You've got to pick one or the other. Because if you love money, that greed, those are spirits that come in and control you and, and manipulate you and it leads to all these horrible things that he was saying. Now I want you to look a little bit further just so that you don't think, oh, Paul's against money, period. No, he's against the love of money. If you look down in verse 17 of the same chapter, he has some instruction. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. God. He's saying, rich people, did you know that God has provided you richly with all things to enjoy? Is it alright to enjoy your wealth? Yes. It's alright to have wealth, but wealth shouldn't have you. It's alright to control wealth, to be a manager of wealth. It's alright to be a conduit of wealth, but Wealth should never have us. He goes on and he tells them, here's what the rich people are supposed to do. Instruct them to do what's good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and willing to share. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. To seek the blesser, not the blessing. See, does God want you to be rich? Yes. Absolutely yes. But as soon as you go, I'm going to follow the blessing, well, that's idolatry. You have now lifted that up higher than the Father. Now, the Father wants relationship with you. And the work that He sent Jesus to begin in the earth is the work that we're now carrying on. And you and I need to be wealthy to accomplish what Jesus started. It takes a lot of money to support what's going on in all these different flags you see around the room. And if you think, well, I've got enough, you know, my bills are paid, my needs are met, well, I don't need more. Why should I go out? Why should I look to grow my business? Because it's meeting my needs. Well, you're selfish. Because you're thinking only about you. If the Lord's blessed you and put a tool in your hand, then use it for good. Cultivate it. Honor what the Lord has given you by multiplying it. Part of being a good steward is multiplying what you have. And so, take what you've been given and, and multiply it 
and seek wisdom from God so that you can do things God's way and that wisdom will be accompanied with blessing. Go over to Mark chapter 10 just in case someone says, yeah, but... but." Actually, let's first go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Section titled, God and Possessions in My Bible. It's in verse 19 is where we're going to look. Jesus is speaking and He gives a command. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That shouldn't be your source. This is unreliable. It can be gone in a moment. Look at Job. I mean, the richest guy around and the moment the door was opened to the devil, what happened? He comes in and in a day, he goes from being the wealthiest in the land to nothing. To nothing. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, if he were going to write it today, he might say, don't be a damn Christian. You know what I mean? By a blockage. Damn up all the good behind. You're just a, you're just a reservoir. No, we're called to, to be rivers of life flowing out of us. No reservoirs, no lakes, right? No blockages. But we are to, to be the treasures of God is to flow through us. And what happens is it begins to get deposited into our heavenly bank account. Verse 20 says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're talking about wisdom and wealth. And just because you have a bunch of wealth doesn't mean you hoard it. No, we are managers of it. And we invest it into the kingdom. If you want something to have your heart, put money there. I mean, test this. Take $20,000 and invest it in a stock and see how often you begin to check that stock. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He didn't say where your heart is, you'll invest treasure. No, he said it the other way around. That where you put your money, that's where your heart is. In other words, your attention. Okay, your attention. So invest in the kingdom. Store up treasure in heaven. And it does not say where you cannot access it until you die and go to be with Jesus. No, Paul actually brought it right current and said, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He didn't delay it until some far off day when you die. But now, in this life, the psalmist said, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's here and now. Look down in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what your, your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor with his millions of dollars of decorations on the walls was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you, you of little faith? 
Even if you're just of little faith, He'll do it for you. That's comforting, isn't it? Verse 31, so don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Notice it says things. God is not against things. He is not against you having things. He is against things having you. All these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. Now go over to Mark chapter 10. I want to put to rest that Jesus did not teach poverty. I think a very good argument can be made that Jesus was actually lived. You know, he, he says things like, I don't have a place to lay down my head. Well, because he was traveling a lot. He's not buying real estate. He's, he's not doing that. He has three years to accomplish his entire life's mission here on the earth. He has three years and he's laser focused and he accomplishes it. Yet we see things happen around him that completely defy the idea that he was a pauper. I mean, he's wearing a seamless garment, which was the most expensive clothes of their day. Maybe someone gave it to him. Who cares? He's still wearing it. You know, he is, he allows someone to pour a year's worth of wages of perfume on his feet. And then chides the guys that had a problem with it and said, well, we could have fed the poor. He, it says that he had wealthy people, some women, that were supporting them. So, they obviously had something. Look here in Mark 10. Well, remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? And He says to them, um, so they're out there, and He says, well, uh, what are, you guys feed them. And they're like, well, they mentioned the amount of money, or a certain amount of money, and said this wouldn't feed near all of them. And that must have been what they had available to them at that moment. But it was 200 days wages for perspective. The cash they had on hand. Alright, let's see what Jesus says about wealth and about whether or not we should have it. Mark 10, verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. That He is identifying whether or not this guy realizes who he is. He's calling him good because he's recognizing who he is. He's not saying, oh, don't call me good. No, he is pulling out of him the purpose for calling him good. Because no one's good except God alone. Are you recognizing that's who I am? He says, you know the commandments in answer to the question, how do I inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. Said to him, you lack one thing. You lack everything this guy has going on. Rich young ruler. But there's one thing he lacks. Jesus points out the lack. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want him to lack anything. He says, one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have. He had a lot. 
Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And it's easy to look at this guy and go, oh, come on. Yeah, we have the rest of the story. We know what would have happened if he'd have done that. But I mean, are you willing? As the Lord said, sell everything you own, every penny you have, and come follow me. I mean, immediately you would have opportunity to fear. Well, I have responsibilities. I have a family to feed. I've got kids to feed. I've got this. I've got that. Taking care of my widow mom. Right? And so, we tend to be a little bit hard on him. But what does it say? It says that he was dismayed by this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And apparently they had him. Jesus looked around and said to His disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. See, Pastor, I knew it. Right there it says, you shouldn't have wealth because it's hard to enter the kingdom of God. Well, let's read the next couple of verses and see if that's what He's saying. The disciples were astonished at His words. The disciples, they've been traveling with Jesus. They know His thought processes and his theologies and how he does things. In this statement, they're like, whoa, Jesus, are you sure? Maybe some of them were wealthy. I mean, how do you just walk away from a business like they did? I, I really, I really like the Chosen series. Okay, and I recommend it to anybody to watch that series. The one thing I do not like about them is the way they glorify poverty. Side note. 24, the disciples were astonished at His words and again Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is for those trusting in wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished saying to one another, well, then who can be saved? Because they... I guess included themselves as these rich guys. Well, then, how can anyone be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, look, we've left everything and followed you. He's quickly trying to divorce himself from his possessions. We left it all. We're with you, Jesus. Right? We're in, right? Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or wife or children or fields, plural, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. That's the key. Who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Not in the future life. Remember, if you forsake those things, that's laying up treasure in heaven. But right here's the access point. Now at this time. Houses, brothers, and sisters, mothers, and children, and fields, plural, with persecutions, <laughs> and eternal life in the age to come. So two realms. Now at this time, and the age to come. Wealth at this time, eternal life in the age to come. But many who will be first will be last, and the last will be first. So is Jesus against wealth? No. He is turning to the disciples and saying, hey, look, if He would have just forsaken those things and followed Me, He would have got a hundred times that much in this life. You cannot 
plant yourself into poverty. You cannot plant yourself into starvation. The wisdom of God tells us again and again and again that, you know what, you want to be rich, give to the poor. You know what, you want to be rich, sow here, sow there. Tells you all these Scriptures. We are the ones who are looking at it and going, okay, I'll a little bit here. And if you think for a moment that I'm saying all of this to, to get you to give here in this house, that's not the case. The Lord has well supplied the needs in this house. And He well supplies our own personal needs. And, and the thing is, is our needs are met by our own personal giving. Not by yours. You could all leave tonight and never come back again and the Lord would still meet our needs. Because He's our source. Someone say, God wants me rich. He wants me wise. Worship team, you can come. You don't have to say that. Worship team, you can come up. Let's say it again. I am rich in the Lord. He wants me to be wealthy. He wants me to prosper. He wants me to be in health. He wants me blessed. He wants me to be the head and not the tail. He wants me to be a conduit of prosperity. Someone say, I am rich. Now your eyes are on the Lord, not on your bank account when you say that. I am rich. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's said about money. And all things is a pretty big thing. I mean, I can think really big, but it's all included in that. All things are included. One of the things about this whole thing is Jesus was made wisdom for us. He was made righteousness for us. Scripture tells us that He also took our sicknesses and our infirmities that we might be healed. You are just as healed as you are saved from sin. You are just as rich as you are saved from sin. You know, Jesus isn't more powerful in this vein and less in this one. It's not how this thing works. It's the life of God flowing in all three of them. So what we're going to do is we have someone here that wanted prayer for healing. Um, if you would, just come up and we're going to agree with you in prayer. And then uh, we're after we're done with that, John, you can lead us in worship. And we will sing and glorify the Lord. How many of you believe that His stripes were more than enough for your healing? You know, His wounds were for the specific purpose of your healing. He didn't take that beating for your sins. Jesus didn't take those wounds and those lashes for you to be made righteous. That's what the blood was for. The blood did those things. But His beating was so that we might be healed. By His wounds, we are healed is what Scripture tells us. Well, God can heal that. That's an easy way. Elijah, that's such a good name. Beautiful smile. Thank you, Father. Lord, that You just touched little Elijah right now. And Elijah, I tell you to be healed. Kidneys, you be completely free of disease in Jesus' name. We bind sickness from His body. We break it off. You're not allowed here anymore in His body. And I give you life and peace. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And now let's just thank Him for it.
Let's just thank the Lord. Father, we bless you for your healing power working in Elijah. Thank you that you set him free and that all the days of his life, he'll be a testimony of your goodness working in him. In Jesus' name. Now you be expecting reports from the doctors because they're going to wonder, well, how is this possible? What's going on? How does this work? And you just tell them, the Lord's hand is touching him and he is healed. Hallelujah, Elijah. All right, you may be seated. Let's worship. I surrender, I surrender, I want to know you, I want to know you, tell me I surrender, lay it all down, I I want to know you more. I want to know you. Let's sing it again. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I want to know you more. I want to know you. I surrender. Surrender. I surrender, Lord Jesus. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know Surrender all to you. Father, we bless you. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for giving us family. Thank you for giving us loved ones and friends. Father, thank you for the people that you've put in place in this house. Lord, that we get to serve you together. That you've arranged the people, the members, as pleases you. Father, I thank you for every talent, every gift that you've put within every person here. Because you are good. Lord, we want to be a greater representation of you. We want to be a better reflection of you. So Lord, polish us up. We surrender to you, Lord. Cause us to be your image. To, to give forth your glory. Lord, that people look at us and they see you. 
Lord, that people come to you because of them witnessing our lives. I thank you for this, Father. Thank you that you stir within us a gratefulness this week. Lord, a, a thankfulness for what you have done for us and in us and through us. And I bless you for it in Jesus' name. And amen. Well, peace be upon you. Love on each other as you go. We have a time of celebration and refreshment downstairs. So join us down in the lower level. Good evening. It is a good evening, isn't it? Praise the Lord. We are so blessed to have you all here today. Thankful that you came and fe to fellowship together with the family. And I'd like to encourage you in our worship time. And really, from here on in, it's our worship time. Amen. It's giving glory to the Lord. That's why we've come. And that's in Psalms 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Amen. See, that's being obedient son right there. <laughs> let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all the gods. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are his people of the pasture and the sheep of his hands. Sing to the Lord. See, these are all commands. They're not suggestions. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all the people. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him in his courts with praise. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Well, we've got some things to do, don't we? <laughs> worship and praise and declare and give. Let's give an offering to the Lord tonight of our praise and our worship. Let's stand up together as a family for who he is and whose we are. Glory to God. <laughs> praise God. Let's just lift our hands and praise the Lord. He is so worthy to be praised. Boy, you can just get caught up in the worship of the Lord. Father, we just thank you for this night together. Thank you, Father, that you've drawn us all together, knitting our hearts together as one, the family of God. We have come to give you glory, Father. We've come to give Jesus glory. We thank you for the Holy Spirit and the presence. And we say, have your way in our hearts tonight. Have your way among us tonight. We honor you. We love you. We appreciate you. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one way we love God in this house is by loving one another.
Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm so glad you're here. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to be here tonight. <laughs> we would like to welcome you to Church of the Word International. If this is your very first time, so if this is your very first time, can you raise your hand so we can give you a hand clap, make you feel welcome? All right. Well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. If you're giving by credit card, do fill out all of the blanks. I just wanted to stir your faith tonight to receive the promises for the, that God has made to the tither. So I'm going to reference Malachi 3. You can turn there if you want. But you can also turn to Mark 11. You know, God's made some pretty amazing promises, hasn't he? And doesn't it make all the difference who said it? That makes all the difference who said uh, something. So would you consider something that the creator of the universe, what something he has said, would you consider that valuable, weighty? Well, what are some things that God has said to us here in Malachi? It says, the Lord Almighty says these things. If you're looking through Malachi 3, 10 and 11, over and over it's saying, says the Lord God, or says the Lord Almighty. Well, he said that the tither's blessed. He said that the blessings would overtake the lack, would swallow up the lack. The Lord Almighty said that he would rebuke the devourer for your sake. He wouldn't prevent him, uh, wouldn't give him access to your stuff. He said that a nation of tithers would be called blessed. These are all things that the Lord Almighty has said. Pretty amazing. But now it's not automatic. See, what God offers us by grace, we have to receive by faith. So how do we lay hold of these things? You know, these, these are things that have been promised to us. How do we make them ours? Maybe you're here in a situation and, you know, what you are experiencing is in contrast to what is promised to us in Malachi 3. We'll turn to Mark 11, and we're going to read two verses, 11, we're going to read, read 23 and 24. You know, it takes faith to walk out the will of God for your life. It takes faith to experience everything that's offered to us in the gospel. These are not automatic things. Um, I'm going to read verse 23. It says, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, both of these verses are faith, but they're in different directions. Do you see that? The first one um, in verse 23 there, that's faith against something. Um, and then in verse 24, that's faith to receive something. Verse 23 says, if anyone says to this mountain, if anyone, who's that? That's me. So it's you're the one doing the same. But it says to, to who? who? Who are we saying to? To the mountain. So this is different than in prayer. This is different than when to God. You're speaking to your problem. God didn't give you that mountain. God didn't give you that obstacle. So we are to speak, we are to say to the problem, 
you know, don't whine and beg God as if he's the one that gave you that obstacle. He didn't. So we have a responsibility to say and and release faith against that thing. Tell it to go and believe it. But verse 24 is talking about prayer. So we, in that, we're asking God in prayer. You know, Philippians tells us to ask with thanksgiving, make our requests known with thanksgiving. So we're coming to God with thankful hearts, asking for the good thing. You're asking for that job. You're asking for Christmas gifts for your kids. You're asking for that debt to be removed and for answers and for wisdom. And then the key here is believe you have received it. For you to receive something, you've got to have it offered. Well, it's pretty important that you know what's been offered. Well, we just read some things or referenced some things because I didn't really read it. In Malachi, some things that has been offered to us. The tither is blessed. The floodgates of heaven are open for the tither. That's been given to us. But now, sometimes we got to receive that. We, we have to lay hold of that. So you're going to stand against your debt. You're going to stand against the lack in your life. You're going to stand against poverty and speak to it. Tell it to go and then believe you have received the blessing of the tither. Believe you have received uh, protection from the devourer getting your stuff. Can we do that? So I just want to encourage you in this to stand up and begin to do that in your life. Begin to do that in your finances. You know, really speak to the lack. Speak to... Uh, the, the need, the, the problem, and then believe you've received the answer. Believed you are the blessed. Amen? All right, well, let's take a hold of our tithe and return that to the Lord. Pray over it. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your promises. Lord, we know you're reliable and trustworthy, and I thank you that you're the one that said that you would open the floodgates of heaven on our behalf. So I just call these tithers blessed. I call these tithers to increase. Father, I thank you that you meet every need in their life. And that if anyone is believing you for an answer, that it come to them speedily tonight. So we just thank you. We give you praise for our jobs, for the resources you've entrusted to us. So we return the tithe gratefully in the name of Jesus. Amen. The ushers can pass the baskets, and people will return it to the Lord. All right, a couple things to mention out of the bulletin. We've got the men's breakfast coming up Saturday, November 20th. That's at 8 a.m. Uh, the youth and young adult barn party will be at the Zimmerman's Barn on November 21st. That's at 5 o'clock. You can contact Josh and Alicia if um, you want to bring new ones, or if you're person here that's new and you would like to be attend there, talk to Josh and Alicia. Tomorrow is CityGate. So if you would like to be part of CityGate, you haven't signed up, you still have time, just speak with Karen or sign up's gone, right? So speak with Karen if you are last minute, would like to take part in that ministry tomorrow morning. The Christmas party coming up December 10th at 6 p.m., now, it's not going to be here at the church, so let's make sure that you make note of that. It's going to be in Strasburg, and there'll be more of that um, as we go forward. We'll give you—actually, there is a there is a address here in the bulletin, but place will be announced next week, I believe. But it is important to sign up so we know who to count on.